If we could just stand all around the room. You know, I, um, I never bring easy messages, but the message is easy when we fix our gaze on the one. So what I want to do is just take a moment. I'm going to have her play some keys. And I just want us to take a moment. Just fixate on the one who is worthy, Jesus. You know, I, I hope you didn't come here for me. I hope you came here for him. Because I'm just a guy who tries to keep my eyes on him. And if there's anything you get out of this day, that I want your gaze, your heart, your mind, your soul to be refocused on him. I want you to begin to thank him all around this room. Just begin to thank him for who he is. Because he is worthy of our attention. He's worthy of our affection. He's worthy of our adoration. Because Jesus is so holy. He's so righteous. He's so loving. He's so good. He's perfect. We love the miracles, but we love the miracle maker. Father, we lift up the Son in His house. We honor and exalt Jesus, the one who is worthy, who is worthy, who is worthy. There's no one else like him. There will never be anyone like him. All of heaven bows down. There's crowns laid before him. The elders cry out. He's the slain lamb, the risen one, the son of God. Jesus, just begin to fix your eyes and your heart on him. Everything wants to distract you from him. All we want is you, Lord. All we want is you, Jesus. We just want to sit at your feet. If we could have just one moment, if we could touch the hem of your garment. If I could sit at the table with the one. Jesus. I want you to gently place your hand on the person next to you. And I want you just to begin to pray this simple prayer. Give, me, give them eyes to see Jesus. Give them ears to hear Jesus. Give us eyes to see the sun. Give us ears to hear the sun. We desperately need you, Jesus, right now. You don't need me. You don't need all the anointed people in this room. We need you. <laughs> we are so desperately in need of you right now. Our country needs you. Our world needs you. Our families need you. Give us eyes to see you. Where you're moving. Ears to hear what you're doing. Now begin again to just thank him. Just begin to thank him. And I want you to remember what he's done this week. Just begin to bring that to remembrance in your heart and begin to thank him. Just begin to thank him. Lord, I thank you for healing. I thank you for those that are being healed right now. I thank you, Lord, that just refixing our gaze on you will bring healing in this room. I thank you, Lord, that dreams are being birthed right now. That dreams are being released right now. 
Because as we focus on you, you give us clarity. I thank you for hearts being realigned right now. I thank you for hearts of stone turning back to hearts of flesh. That anxiety is fleeing, that fear must bow. Shame is leaving. Shame is leaving. Guilt is leaving. Fear is leaving. Because Jesus is in the room. few more moments everything wants to steal your gaze but he just wants to look at you because as beautiful as he is he looks at you his bride and says you are beautiful too he looks at his bride and he just yearns for you he longs for you he wants your attention. He wants your affection. He loves you with such passion. So now that you've prayed for someone else, I want you to pray for yourself. And I want you to lay your hand on your heart and say this. Say, he adores me. He adores me. Because it's true. He really does. He adores you. So Jesus, I pray right now that every word that go forth point people back to you. That you tear down these things that we've built up in our lives to find comfort, to find peace, when the only place that we can find comfort and peace is in your arms. I pray that we are drawn back into your arms, that we feel the true comforter, that we encounter the Prince of Peace. You say that the Holy Spirit has come to draw all men unto you. So Holy Spirit, we say draw every man and woman and child in this room unto you. We come in alignment with heaven's plan for our hearts to become fixated on the one. And we honor you and we love you. And it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. It's really important that your heart stay fixated on Him as I'm sharing what I'm sharing. Because what I'm about to say may become offensive. And I find that it becomes offensive because our flesh... Our flesh wars within us and our spirit yearns for the one. And sometimes we lose sight of that because we're so comfortable. And because when we're so comfortable and we're so used to something, we gravitate to it because it's just natural. But really it's unnatural. We were naturally made to gravitate towards Jesus. So I want to share some scripture and I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 10. And I love Matthew chapter 10. It has my, my life verse in it. And most people are like, that's your, your life verse is in this? And they would be like, that's a crazy life verse, but it is my life verse. I want you to turn to Matthew 10, starting in verse 7. I'll read verse 7 and verse 8. I'm reading out of the New King James. It says, And as you go, preach 
saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons freely you have received, and freely give. And we love these verses. I know that this house loves these verses. This is a house of power. This is a house of prayer. This is a house of his presence. And we love these verses. And we gravitate to these verses because we want to be used by God. This is not a house of people who want to sit around. This is a house of people who want to be used by God. I was honored to speak at the fish school right before I flew into Pakistan the next day. And it was, I could see the hunger in the room. There was a hunger in the room. And it's just a reflection of the hunger in this church. There's a hunger in this house. And we all want to see the kingdom expand. We want to see the lepers healed, the sick restored. We want to see the demons cast out. We want to see the dead raised. But there's a cost. And everybody's like, well, Jesus paid the cost. He did pay the cost. But he didn't say that you wouldn't pay a cost too. And so often we, we look at these verses and we get all excited, but there's a cost that comes with it. There's a big cost. And he starts to talk about it. He, he's commissioning them, and he's like, yes, go, go, go. And then he starts in verse 16. And this is my verse. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of the wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in the synagogues. You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death. A father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For surely I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. So we love these first verses. But then when he says, I'm going to send you out a sheep in the midst of the wolves, uh, I don't know if I want that. And then he, he, he makes it harder. He's like, your family's going to turn against you. The religious people are going to turn against you. The government is going to turn against you. He's like, yes, I've given you power. But it's going to be a sign unto them, to the Gentiles, which is us. It's going to be a sign unto the world that you can overcome this. But when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we focus on our comfort, we're going to run from these very things. And I can tell you the American church has been wooed with a satanic lullaby of sitting and talking with the head of the Iranian underground church. And him and his wife were telling me, he's like, the underground church is rising in Iran, and they're so worried about what's happening in America. They're sending missionaries. Iran, you understand this, Iran is sending missionaries to America because they believe that we have been wooed to sleep by a satanic lullaby, and that lullaby is comfort. We have become so comfortable we become so comfortable that, 
that anything that doesn't go our way, if the heat isn't hot enough, if the cool temperature is not hot enough, if it's raining too hard, if it's snowing too hard, ah, we won't gather together. No, it's true. I'm having a bad hair day. I'm not coming. I woke up late. I'm not coming. I don't want to get up because I worked all week. I'm not coming. And people will say, you know, you're being religious. I know. We, We don't understand what we have here. Do you understand in Iran... In Iran, they gather together, and they can't do what you just did. They cannot worship except with their mouth moving, because if a sound comes out, they'll be all executed. In Pakistan, the persecution is real. The persecution is real. Are we willing Are we willing to get uncomfortable enough even if we face real persecution? In this last month, I came back, I went there, came back, got COVID. As soon as I came back, I was stricken by COVID, me and my whole family, and uh, we recovered, thank God. By the grace of God, we recovered fully. And we can't go back because this country's locked down now because of a, a massive COVID outbreak happened from the Indian virus that jumped over. So we were all, like, stopped. But in the midst of all that happening, in the midst of all that pressure from COVID and Ramadan happening, persecution began to increase in the church Every day, I'd I'd be on the phone for hours and hours and hours, helping and working and helping and working. We had a six-year-old girl, six-year-old girl that just walked out of her house. She's a Christian. And a Muslim man, 30 years old, grabbed her and harmed her violated her. And when they went to go and make a complaint, his response was, I did nothing. They committed blasphemy. You know what they did? They tried to arrest the parents and arrest the little girl. This is persecution. The government looked at him and said, you're Christians. They said, your option is she can now be his wife. He said, they said, what? You harmed my daughter. They said, you, she can now be his wife. Or she can live in shame. Which do you choose? Yet in the midst of that, in the midst of that uncomfortability, In the midst of a hundred degree heat every day. In the church on a on any given day, there's no AC. We got a few fans like this, but we're on the fifth floor of a building that belongs to one of our friends that we built a church on the rooftop. And we just put some shelter on the sun to get us away from the sun. We fit like 250 to 300 people in that small room. And we're all squashed in together. And it gets like 120 plus because there's no windows. There's no wind. There's no seats. Everybody sits on the floor. Kids and babies and children. Yet even in the midst of that uncomfortability, they still have the uncomfortability of Potentially, their daughters getting taken on the way to church. Because persecution doesn't turn off. 
They are sheep sent out in the midst of the wolves. And they get brought before magistrates. When we were there, we were brought in front of governors. We were brought in front of police chiefs. And then on the very last day, as we were about to fly out, and we're doing a crusade with about 30,000 people, I'm, I'm talking to my, 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 my pastor on the ground, and we're talking, and I got this team with me, and we're moving in this direction, and there's this huge thing happening. And he's like, bro, I need to talk to you. And I said, what's up, man? And he says, he says, there's some police waiting to arrest us. As soon as we get there, they're going to try to arrest us. Do you think we should turn back? He said, the, the police are going to arrest us. He says, so your wife's going to get arrested, your team's going to get arrested, you're all going to get arrested. Do you think we should stop? And I said, no, we've come too far. The gospel's going to go forth. We're not going to stop. We get out of there, and I said, and I said to him, I said, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm betting that Jesus is going to protect us, and he's going to put some fear in this guy. Because if they arrest an American and cause an international incident, it's not going to look good. And because um, there's not any given time, there's very few Americans in that country. We were probably at that time one of like 10 in the entire nation at that moment. And we get out and we negotiate with the police. Negotiating in a persecuted country means you're slipping him a couple thousand dollars. We're negotiating with the police chief. How would it be if you had to come to church in order to get here, in order to have a service, you had to negotiate with the chief and give them a couple thousand dollars in order to have service? This is what it means to be a sheep sent among wolves. The government isn't for you. The environment isn't for you. And then to top it off, it says in the word that your brothers will turn against you. And you have this happen where there are people who are saying they're believers, but they're not really believers. They're opportunists. And they want to use you to capitalize on a situation. And people will try to sell us out. For us, they can sell us for a bounty on our head. There's like a 25 grand bounty for an American to be captured and brought to Al-Qaeda or to ISIS. And what they'll do is they'll sell you out because $25,000 for a Christian in Pakistan is a lot of money. It's a lot of money. So every person you talk to, you don't know, are you going to be delivered up at any moment's notice? You don't know if that pastor that you just greeted is going to sell you out tomorrow. Just like Judas did to Jesus. You know, Jesus said in that verse, a disciple is not above his master. But somehow we have an expectation because we're comfortable, because we live here, that our lives are above the master's. But if he was betrayed, so shall you be. If he was persecuted, so shall you be. We, we've removed ourselves because we've put our eyes on all the comfort in our lives. And we've taken this comfort and made it our protection. We look to the government for our protection. We try to control the political system because if we can control the political system, we won't be persecuted. If we can control this, we can control that, we can stay in safety. But it's the very safety that has lulled us to a lullaby that we are powerless. And the rest of the church on the outside is looking in and saying, where is the American church? Where is the American church? Will they awaken? 
Will they wake up from their slumber? It's so hard. You know, there's a word that says it's going to be hard for the what? The rich to enter into the kingdom. Why? Not because money is evil. It takes money to go to Pakistan, I promise you. Money is not evil. But when money becomes our God, it becomes our comfort, it becomes our security, it is evil. Money is not our protector, there is only one. Money is not our comforter, our buildings are not our comforter, our government is not our comforter or our protector, there's only one. You're but sheep sent among the wolves. And we look at the Pakistanis and we look at the Iranians and say, well, that's them. They live in Muslim countries. It's happening in Mozambique too. Mozambique's not a Muslim country. It's a Christian country. In Mozambique right now, I have a missionary on the ground in Pemba. And just north, just north of Pemba by two hours, just north from Pemba, ISIS has come in and started executing people everywhere. You had 750,000 refugees flee into the jungle. Women who are pregnant, children, broken, this isn't to make you feel guilty. Because like I said, our eyes need to be on Jesus. Jesus is doing something. He's waking us up. This isn't make you to feel shame or guilt because you live in America. Don't feel shame or guilt because of this. But be aware that it could switch in a moment. And you could find yourself in a situation in a moment. And is your comfort been so elevated that when discomfort comes, you'll flee? Will you stay the path regardless of what situation happens? When Jesus was talking to the disciples, the ones he was about to send out, when he was recruiting you know, he was talking everybody out of the faith. He was not telling them, come, it's going to be comfortable. Come, it's going to be awesome. He's like, um, no. Are you willing to deny yourself? Are you willing to follow me? Are you willing to pick up a cross? No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. Whoever is willing to lose his life will save it. He's telling a radical message to the disciples. And somehow our message is radically different here. We don't tell people that they need to lose their life anymore. We tell them, come to church and you'll find it. Everything's going to be okay. No, they're like, you're going to lose you. You're going to find him. It's going to cost you everything. Are we willing to pay the cost? See, my message to the church is to wake up from our slumber. To wake up from our slumber. To wake up from this lullaby that's been lulling us to sleep. Jesus is the comforter. We have, we have gravitated to so many other things. Our families, our friends, our lives, our heritage, our culture. But what happens when it all vanishes in a moment? The only thing that's certain is Jesus is king. That's the only certainty you can face, that Jesus is going to be king. There's no guarantee that America will stay strong. There's no guarantee that you will not be persecuted. There's none of those things. There's only one guarantee, that Jesus is king. And we capture that reality in saying, 
He's sending me as a sheep in the midst of the wolves. I'm not to run from the wolves. I'm not to try to build a fortress away from the wolves. I'm supposed to get into the middle of the wolves knowing that he protects me. People say, why do you go to Pakistan? We're about to go into Afghanistan and to Iraq on the next trip. We're going to jump from Pakistan to Afghanistan to Iraq. And if they would let us go into Iran, we would. But we cannot enter into Iran. There's no possible way. Even if we try to cross the desert, they won't let us in. It's so secure. Because he says that we are sheep sent to the wolves. And don't kid yourself, there are wolves outside of this building. There are wolves outside of this building. And our job is not to get comfortable and hide and hunker down from them. Our job is to get in the midst of them and deliver the goods of the kingdom. See, that's why he gave them the power of signs, wonders, and miracles. Because it's the goodness of God that can change a wolf into a sheep. It's the goodness of God that when you walk into a Taliban place that's held people prisoner, you can show them who he is and he can turn their heart of stone back to a heart of flesh. But if we're so comfortable when we see the wolves, eh, that's too hard. Uh, it's too hot. Uh, it's too dangerous. Send someone else. There used to be a time where the church was like, here I am, send me. And it's become, here I am, send them. We'll make up these things and say, I'm not called to that. I'm not called. The question is, are you really a disciple then? Because if you're really a disciple, you're called. He didn't, he didn't ask the 12, which one of you are called to the wolves? He didn't do that. You see nothing in this scripture where he says, he says, hey, I'm giving you authority. I'm sending you. And by the way, I'm sending you out. You're going to be scourged. You're going to be brought up to councils. You're going to be persecuted. He didn't say run from it. He didn't say try to stop it. He didn't say try to control it. He says, this is where it's going to be. What if we stop trying to stop persecution from coming? That's a scary thought. How much of the church's mission right now in America is trying to prevent persecution from coming? We spend more effort trying to prevent the persecution from coming when it's the very persecution that he promises is coming. Who are you warring against? We're like, we're stopping the devil from bringing persecution. Jesus is saying it's going to come because a disciple is not greater than his master. And if he was persecuted, we will be persecuted. But I didn't sign up for that. I don't know what you signed up for. But I know that I signed up to follow him. And Jesus didn't run from the cross. He ran to the cross. Jesus knew what was going to happen at the cross, didn't he? He knew he was going to be scourged. He knew he was going to be betrayed. He knew all of these things. He didn't run from the betrayal of Judas. He knew Judas was going to betray him the entire time. He didn't run from it. He kept advancing the kingdom. Are we willing to endure to the end and be saved? That's the context of that verse. He who endures to the end shall be saved. Endures what? It's like, I've given you the stuff. You're going to go out, and all of this is going to happen. And if you endure to the end, you'll be saved. But we tell everybody, don't worry about it. We'll create a Christian community. We'll huddle down and we'll hide from the persecution. Listen, there's a big Christian community in Pakistan. 
And while you can't hide for a moment, but they eventually find you. Every moment we step out, we know it will potentially be our last. When we flew out, the night I flew out, I left here, went home, and I sat down with my 17-year-old son, and we went to our, my worship leader, and we give them, we give them a document that says, if we die and we don't come back, you now have our son. <laughs> Do you understand? When we leave, we, 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 our son knows that we may not come home. That's the reality. This isn't a, a fishing expedition in the natural realm. It's a fishing expedition in the spiritual, and it's one that's very dangerous. And the reality is, is that we may not come back. The last time I took my wife, she contracted typhoid. And she was near dead in the bed. And the day she was near dead in the bed, I looked at my, my friend. We were going to a Taliban area in which I planted a church back in 2016. And I empowered a woman, a young 21-year-old woman at the time, to be the pastor because she could move and operate in that area very effectively because they would have beheaded a man, but they left her alone because they're like, ah, she's a woman. Huh. They don't know. Kingdom women are powerful. <laughs> they're undercover. And they're like, ah, she's a woman. Taliban's like, ah, she can do nothing. Yeah, well, the first, the first month, she had 300. First month. <laughs> and when I came back, I was like, so when, when we came back, she's, he's like, we're going back to, into that area. And we're going to be meeting with them. And there's a lot of stuff happening, and you need to go. My wife is in a bed with typhoid. And he looks at me. My friend looks at me. Now, this is radical for us Americans. He looks at me, and he says, if she dies, brother, she's good to go. She loves Jesus. He says, where you're going, they don't know Jesus. They're not good to go. If they die, they go to hell. If she dies, she goes to heaven. You must choose. This is, the, this is reality. And Mary would be like, oh, that's, uh, that's, that's a simple choice here. It's not a simple choice. Like, do you love your wife? I looked at my wife, and I looked her in the eyes, and I said, what do you want me to do? She said, go. She had 105 fever. No medicine. We can't go to a doctor there. If we go to the doctor there, we will get snatched. So like, hey, I can go to the hospital. I can go get some typhoid medicine. The only thing we had was what? Prayer. This is reality. It's a reality everywhere but here. But we have something that the world is looking for. They're looking. They're, they, they enamor the American church and say, you have freedom that we don't have. But the freedom has lulled us into comfort, into, into complacency. Are we willing to pay the cost? When I preached to the, to the group at the fish school and we shared, they're like, they asked some questions. And one of the questions, you know, is like, how do you prepare for this? It's like, we just have come to the point where we're willing to die for our faith. And I know it's a very heavy thing, but when you start to do what I told you to do in the beginning, we fix our eyes on the one who's been pierced. It's no longer a heavy thing. I think of Stephen as they were coming to stone him. It says he looked up into heaven, and they're throwing rocks at him, and he's gazing with a smile. Why is he gazing with a smile? Because he's looking on the one. We can look at all the storms around us right now, and there are lots of them brewing. Or we can look upon the one and get out in the midst of the wolves. You see, our, our, our country is in desperate need of an awakening. Our country is in desperate need of an encounter. 
But it cannot happen if we're afraid to get uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable for you to go into a crack house. It's very, very uncomfortable for you to minister to the LGBTQ community. It's very, very uncomfortable. But God is calling us to go into the most uncomfortable places. To risk everything so that people can know the one. I know you're, you're all quiet, so I'm a little nervous. <laughs> you know? When you say stuff like this, people get, I don't know, I'm glad he's not our pastor and he's not coming back. <laughs> you got to feel for my people down in Cardington. They're like, they get this every week. <laughs> and I look at them and say, you haven't gone yet? You're still here? <laughs> it's time to go. This is, this is our mission. This is our mandate. He didn't save us so we could have cool heritage and cool families and cool stuff. He saved us so that we could go and bring what we've been given to others. Freely I've been given this. Freely, I release it. You see, the reason I go to Pakistan, the reason I was sent to Pakistan, is because that was the very place that I told the Lord no. That's the reason why I'm in Pakistan. I told the Lord no, 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 no. And then you're, gonna, you're like, why did you tell them no? Not because they were terrorists. But before I got saved, I hated Muslims. Before I got saved, I wanted to murder Muslims. Before I got saved, I trained to kill Muslims. See, my job, I used to work for the government. And in the midst of the war on terror... Right in the very beginning, two years after 9-11, I got saved. But prior to that, I got out of the military trying to go back in because I said these words. We're not killing them fast enough. We're bound by too many rules. I want to be unrestrained. I want to be unrestrained and unrestricted. Drop me into the intelligence community where I can waterboard people, torture people, and do anything I want. That was my heart. God has a sense of humor, huh? So I'm going to send you to the people you despise the most. And I'm going to show how radically I can take your heart of stone and turn it to a heart of flesh. Where your heart can beat with my heart to return the sons of Ishmael back home. I go there because there's no other way I would go there but God. I don't make it through Pakistan because of my skill set. I make it through Pakistan because of his skill set. You know, my skill set involves weapons. I have only one weapon now. That's it. When I called my friends in the government, I was like, bro, I'm going to Pakistan. They said, with what? What team you're taking? I said, Jesus' team. They're like, you're crazy. I said, I am. I'm crazy for Jesus. And the world is looking for crazy ones, fiery ones, ones that are in this house to be crazy for Jesus, to go into the places that you do not want to go. Because the very place where you do not want to go is probably the place you're going to have the most anointing and the most power and the most presence. How many people know in this room there's a place you don't want to go? The one you've been avoiding. The one you've been like, ah, here I am, send them. I'm not called there. I'm not called to those people. I'm not called to that group. 
If not you, then who? Well, God's going to have to stir on my heart. No, you don't have to stir on your heart. When I was on the floor, you know what the Lord said to me? He did not ask me if I wanted to go. He didn't say, is this something you really want to do? He said, go. And you know, the Lord picked me because I'm an obedient soldier. And when he said go, I said, yes, sir. Because I knew what he did for me. And the love of God compelled me. And I knew that fighting this fight in the natural realm has yielded nothing. I can say that because I was involved in the war and terror for many years. We kill one and another one pops up. We kill one and another one pops up. We kill one and another one pops up. And they'll pop up on different continents. It's like, what are we doing? Because we're fighting it the wrong way. There's a more excellent way. It's the way of love. It's the way of Jesus. It's the way of the gospel to show them the kingdom of God is at hand. That it's real, that it's tangible, that it's transforming, that it's life-altering, and that it can break the bondage of anything, including a false god. And that every high thing will bow to the name of Jesus. And that every stronghold will come down. We can go in knowing that no weapon formed against us shall ever prosper. And that we carry in us, as ambassadors of the king, we carry the hope of the nations. Do you understand? You, are, you carry the hope of the nations in you. You carry the hope of your city in you. You carry the hope of the region in you. You carry the hope for the Amish in you. You do. God has redeemed each person in this room for a reason. And I promise you, it isn't just to sit here on Sunday. I promise you, this is not the sum total of your experience. If this has become the sum total of your experience, I think that's why Yuri sent me and said, wake up. Because I know he knows how I preach. And I was asking, I said, are you sure? But he's lucky because he's in another country, right? So you, and you're not going to blast him while he's in another country. I hope you don't. Have, have mercy on him. He's fighting a good fight, him and Steve and everyone else. They are fighting the good fight of faith. I know it ain't comfortable there. I, I, I don't like mosquitoes. I don't like snakes. I don't like none of that stuff. I don't like jungles either. I'll stay in the desert. They're called there. It's clear to me that Yuri has a footprint, and his church has a footprint for Peru. There's a calling there. But as a church, you're, you may be called there, but where are you called? What's that place that you keep saying, mm, no, mm, no, mm, no? What's that place? God wants to send you as a sheep into the midst of the wolves. And I, I'm not going to promise you that it's going to be hunky-dory. I can tell you every time I go to Pakistan, it is as if the gates of hell itself have been unleashed against me and my wife. The warfare in the natural and in the supernatural are so extreme. But the fruit it's real. And I, I want to be fruitful and faithful when I'm dead. When I stand before God, I want to say that I was fruitful and faithful. That's what I want to do. I want to be, I want to be like him. I want to do his works, not mine. And I'm sure that if you're here listening to me for this long, and you haven't got up and walked out yet, you want to be fruitful and faithful too. There's something in you that's resonating with this and saying, I want to do something different. That I know that God put something in me for a time such as this. 
Before I came up here, the words were said that we're in a season where, where God is doing something big. I can promise you there is stuff happening all over the globe right now. There is a global movement of stuff happening. Big, big stuff. And the question is, is will the American church take its place? Or will we stay lulled in a satanic lullaby of comfort? We may have a different mission field. You may not have to worry about Taliban beheading you or blowing up your church when you show up. But you have other things. And God wants you to go into the midst of the darkness and be the light. The question is, will you? That's not just Yuri's job. It's not just Steve's job. It's not just those radical fish school guys and girls' job. It's not. It's not. You know whose job it is? Yours. Everyone in this room, it's your job. 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 It's all of our job. This is the mandate. This is the mission. And if you're going to be his, you have to accept it. The question is, are you his? So when I give these messages, it makes you ask that question. And people get appalled when I ask this. But I don't care. Sorry. Because <laughs> I don't do this for money. I don't do this for accolades. I do this because it's my life's mission to spread the gospel. But maybe you're hearing this, and you're like, I haven't really sold out for Jesus. And this is not an insult to you. It's not saying, well, I'm really not willing to lay down anything. I'm really not willing. Listen, Jesus asked. He didn't just say, come and repent, and you're good to go. He, he told them, count the cost. Have you counted the cost of what this cost is to carry your cross to follow him? Because before you're going to really do this and really choose him to become uncomfortable, you really have to say yes to him. So maybe there are some in this room right now that you're hearing this and you're like, oh my goodness, he is insane. He's too radical. I'm not telling you I'm not too radical. If anything, I'm less radical than half of the world. I still watch Netflix. Do you know my pastor in Pakistan has never watched a movie in his entire life since he's been born? He's never watching me. I said, bro, you never watched a movie? It's not that they don't have movies. They have IMAX theaters. They have IMAX theaters. And I was like, you never watched a movie? He's like, no. Who has time for movies when you're about the kingdom business? The kingdom never sleeps. I was like, wow, dude. I was like, are you serious? I feel so, so bad. I was like, I just watched like three hours of Netflix. I just watched the whole series. And, and he's like, bro, what is Netflix? Oh. I was like, never mind. I don't want to get a sermon. Listen. I'm not saying that I got it all together. I'm this super radical guy. God is working in me. But if you're feeling conviction right now, not condemnation, but conviction, because I don't want you to feel condemnation. But if you're feeling conviction, you're like, I have not really made the choice to lay down my life for the one. Then maybe today's the day to really make that choice. It's more than just saying, I do. You know when you say, I do, and you get married? How many people are here are married? You found out it was way more than I do, right? How many, how many people can agree with that? 
right? Because when I said I do, I was like, yes, it's all good. Until, until you realize it's to death do us part, <laughs> right? It's to death. And I can tell you, I have some issues sometimes with my wife. My wife is Puerto Rican, and she is feisty, and she is fiery, and I, and I don't even know how to handle her. And I, and I was like, Lord, is this one of the wolves you sent me into as a sheep in? That's how intense it can get. How many people know what I'm talking about? You, you're, you're all just not saying that because your spouse is going to hit you. They're sitting next to you. But this is truth. Listen, when you say I do to Jesus, it doesn't mean you had that emotional encounter. But he's saying, I oh, know it's going to be you in this for the long haul. It's going to cost you. And if you've been in marriage for more than a week, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you emotionally, physically, spiritually, all the way. But the joy, oh, I would never, never, my wife is, is my best friend. I need her. You need Jesus more than anything. He needs to become your best friend. You need to say, I do for real. So if you're hearing this and you're like feeling this conviction that I said I do, but it was really a dating relationship. We're about to make this into a covenant relationship. Because that's the difference, right? When you say I do, but you ain't really covenanted, you can split and find someone else. But when you say I do and there's a covenant, ooh, it's, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Jesus wants a covenant with you. So that's why when you're looking at him, when you're looking at him, right? When you're looking at him and you're gazing into his eyes, everything around's blowing up and everything's all crazy. You're like, he's got me. That's why you can go as a sheep in the midst of the wolves. So I want to I wanna ask, first and foremost, if you feel the need right now to reaffirm that, that covenant. Or if you've never made that covenant, I want you to pray something with me. Right here, right now. Don't be ashamed of it. Be like, I can tell you, I was in a meeting with Daniel Kalenda. How many people know who Daniel Kalenda is? I was in a meeting with Daniel Kalenda, and it was like almost all pastors in this meeting. Like 90% pastors. And he gave an altar call for salvation. Listen to me. 90% pastors, he gave an altar call for salvation, and over 50% of the room went to the front. Pastors, realizing they really weren't walking with Jesus. They had been pastoring for years, but they really hadn't sold out to Jesus. They really haven't given everything to Jesus. So when I said I do to my wife, I knew it was like, I'm all in. Are you all in? This is an all-in thing. Jesus is all-in. So what I'm asking you is if that is you, I want you to come up to the front. If you need to make that decision, don't be ashamed. Like, oh, everybody's going to think I've been a believer all this time. Listen, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. There's more in this room. I know there's more. Because I, I can tell you. Listen, when you say I'm all in, that you want to see power flow, this is when power really flows. You're like, why am I not seeing the signs, wonders, and the miracles? You can't get the benefits of marriage unless you're really married. You want the benefits of the marriage, but you don't want the marriage, and it's going to cost you something. There's no shame. There's no shame. There's no condemnation. No one in this room is going to judge you. And if they do, you, if you judge in somebody that came up here, you probably need to come up here. That's the truth. We always want the impartation of men. 
I love, I love the Pentecostal charismatic community. I've been in it for years. We want the impartation of men. But the best impartation is that of God. I am just a man. No more. I'm a broken man who makes mistakes every day. But there's one who is perfect. There's one who is holy. And he says, I want to dine with you right now. There is no other. So just raise your hands up to the Lord. If you're not up here, extend your hands to these ones. And I just want you to pray this with me. Say, Father, I give you all that I am. I surrender every place in my life. I surrender my fear. I surrender my shame. I surrender my very life to you. And I declare that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who will live in me, that will live through me. I repent, and I turn away from trying to covet my life. And I lay down my life so that I may find it right now. And I will find it only in you, Jesus. I will find it in no other I will not find it in religion. I will not find it in a church. But I will find it in you. And I ask you, Jesus, to take hold of my life. Every part of it. Every part of it. I give it to you right now freely. And I ask you, Lord, to fill me. Fill me and send me. I want you to say that. Fill me and send me. Because he wants to send you. He's not filling you right now so you can feel good. He's filling you because he needs you. He wants you. He wants to thrust you into the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And you who are standing right here, you are the laborers of the harvest field. So Father, right now, we say send these ones. Send these ones. Thrust them into the harvest. Send them to the prodigals. Send them to the broken and the downcast. Send them to the religious. Send them to the, to the people who worship false gods. Send them. And may they be filled with the goodness of God. Let them be lights in the midst of the darkness. Fill them with the goodness of God. Just begin, ask him right now. The Bible says this, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, you'll receive it without measure. I'm not asking you to have some crazy experience. I'm asking you to ask him. Just say, give it to me, God. Say, give it to me. I need it. Because you can't do this without him. Shura bakia ramato korete, ora bakorete tete, ora makura ba. Jesus, we exalt you. Jesus, we honor you right now. We say you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. These are your beloved. This house is your beloved. Use this house. Send this house. Thrust this house into the harvest field. And these ones, draw them so close into you that when they walk into a room, they will glow like Moses. Like, what is up with these ones? They've seen the face of God. Father, fill them. Now you who are up here that have been running, picture that place that you've been running from and look at the enemy that's been standing there trying to scare you away and you say to the Lord, here I am, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. I promise you, you don't need to be seasoned 
You just need to be his. I promise you, you don't need a degree. I promise you, you don't need anything. You just need him. He will give you the words. He will give you the power. And he will give you the place. This is not for the special ones. This is for everyone. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I want to have the rest of you stand up, if you can, just around this room. And if you got to go, go. It's okay. I'm not offended. Because <laughs> I'm going to have to go real soon because I got to go pray for a woman in a hospital in Columbus and then come back and preach in Mansfield tonight. If you want to be used, and you're in the back right now, just, just put your hands up to the Lord and say, here I am, Lord, use me. I promise you that Yuri's heart is not for you to remain seated in these chairs. I know that that man's heart is to see this region come to Jesus. And you are the ones you're not waiting for the next miracle revivalist to come. You are the next miracle revivalist. There is no one else. It's you. So say, Jesus, use me. Use me in my brokenness. Use me in my weakness. Use me. Use me. Because I need you. I thank you, Lord. Jesus, I thank you for what you've done here today. I thank you that much fruit will come in this region and in this nation from these ones, these fiery ones, these burning ones. And that these ones are now sent ones, sent ones into the harvest. We honor you, Jesus, with, with all that we have and all that we are. And it's in your name, the name above every other name that we pray. Amen.